You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. It's, it's easy to bring a lot of wrong thinking baggage into the Christian life. And if we're going to be more like Jesus, and that's the aim, Christian, in our Christian life, to be more like Jesus, there are going to be some times in our Christian life where God's going to come to us, actually his spirit specifically, and his word specifically, are going to come to us like a wrecking ball and really kind of shatter, hopefully, old thinking or human thinking or just traditional thinking and usher us into a brand new way to think according to his word, according to his spirit. Every once in a while, God has to take a wrecking ball to our minds to change our thinking. And that's what's happening in the story we're going to look at together today. So let's, let's get there quickly. Acts chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. I'm going to encourage you to open up your copy of God's Word or your smartphone and let's stay in this story uh, for the remainder of our time together today. Acts chapter 11. We'll start at the very beginning of that that chapter in verse 1. Let's see what God says to us today about wrong thinking in the Christian life. We're in a series called Change My Mind. That's our, that's our hope. God, would you change the way I think? Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers, the believers, who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, and in your Bible it might be red letters, this is Jesus, rise Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we we were sent from Caesarea, just a few miles north of there. Or several miles north of there. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. They were, they were Gentiles, by the way. They had come from Caesarea. And so the Spirit said to, 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 to Peter, make no distinction. So these six brothers, so six believers, also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house And say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us, speaking of Pentecost, at the beginning. 
And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Don't close your Bibles. I would really like to teach more today than, than preach. God had to change Peter's way of thinking even to enter into the house of this Gentile. We know from chapter 10, this is Cornelius, the, the Gentile Cornelius. God had to change Peter's wrong way of, of thinking because Jews don't enter into homes of Gentiles, much less to sit down and eat. Now, the apostles knew that Jesus had, had told them, I want you to go to all the world and share the gospel to all the world. The apostles heard that in their old way of thinking as go into all the world and make sure all the Jews hear the gospel. That's how they heard it in their wrong way of thinking. The, the thought of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and then the Gentiles actually coming to salvation without first having to become religious Jews was inconceivable, to quote the Princess Bride, inconceivable. <laughs> and now the inconceivable has, has happened. The Holy Spirit has fallen on, on the Gentiles just as the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Christian Jews at Pentecost. And by the way, today is Pentecost Sunday, seven weeks since, since Resurrection Sunday. We remember Pentecost Sunday today. So Peter has to go to Jerusalem because the Jewish Christians were griping. I know it's a shock to all of us that Christians would be griping. But these Christian Jews were griping because, verse 3, he went to uncircumcised men and ate with them gasp. Chapter 11 is a retelling of what happened in chapter 10. All the events that, that Peter has told to the church in Jerusalem, they happened to him in, in chapter 10. So he is retelling that story here in chapter 11. Let me just say, when scripture repeats itself, take notice. This story here shows how God had to change the thinking of Christians on something that was unbelievably essential for the gospel. Here's the overarching theme of, of Acts chapter 11. I might even be able to submit to you. This is the overarching theme of the book of Acts. To accomplish his sovereign purpose of salvation, God had to change the wrong thinking in his people. Uh, this is where we're headed uh, today. In order for God to accomplish his sovereign purpose of salvation, God first had to go and change the wrong thinking in his own people. You see, the, the Jews were requiring, if Gentiles wanted to be saved, they would have to adopt all the Jewish rituals to be saved, which is wrong thinking for the Jews and a false gospel for the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke, I think, to write this story twice to remind us there's a world of difference between traditional thinking and gospel thinking. First, we need to understand what God's sovereign purpose actually is. So point number one, I'm teaching, I told you, number one, God's sovereign purpose is the salvation of people from every nation. That is God's sovereign purpose. 
the salvation of people from every nation. There's an incredible scene that unfolds in Revelation chapter 5 where all the living creatures of heaven and the 24 elders, they fall down before Jesus. They kneel before him and they sing this song, Worthy are you, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God's purpose is to glorify himself through the salvation of all people from every nation through Jesus. That's acknowledged here in our story. Look back at verse, verse 18, the very end of our story, Acts chapter 11. Then to the Gentiles, they come to this conclusion. Then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's salvation. Later on in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will call this the mystery of the gospel. The Gentiles are also heirs and fellow members of the body. I mean, for 2,000 years, it's been Israel and Israel alone as, as God's chosen people, but now all the nations have equal standing at the foot of the cross. All who come in faith and repentance in Christ become a part of God's kingdom, Jew and Gentile alike. Let me just tell you, Highland, this was revolutionary. Now, I just have three points today, but I'm going to kill you on the subpoint. So here's the first subpoint to number one. His salvation is his mission and his doing that God uses us in the process. And we see this also in chapter 11. God's salvation is, that's his mission, that is his doing, but God uses us in the process. The major theme here, God is the one who takes the initiative to get the gospel to the Gentiles. Let me just show that to you. I know your Bibles are still open. I'm not even going to look to see if they are. I know they are. Verse 5, God gave Peter the vision of the sheet being lowered. Verse 7, God gave Peter the command to eat. God in Christ Jesus gave the command to eat. Verse 11, God orchestrated the Gentile messengers arriving from Cornelius to Peter at the exact time. Verse 12, God told Peter to go with them, God's spirit, without hesitation. Verse 13, God has sent his angel to Cornelius earlier with instructions to go find a guy named Simon who goes by Peter. Verse 15, God sovereignly saved the Gentiles and sent the Holy Spirit on them. And I love this, even before Peter finished preaching the sermon. That's kind of humbling to preachers. Like Peter wouldn't even have like the final point yet. He hadn't made some great illustration at the end. Like all of a sudden he's preaching, the Holy Spirit just decides with or without a sermon. With or without a preacher, it is time for me to come down and to save these people. Verse 18, God granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. And so if you're getting sleepy, you're about to miss everything else I say today. Would you hear these words? Salvation belongs to the Lord. He originates it. It is his mission. It is his doing. Now at the same time, don't miss this. God uses a very weak human a denier, you might remember. Three times this same guy said earlier, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I do not know that man. But now God uses Peter to further the gospel. Verse 14, it was not the angel who preached the gospel. It was Peter. Some wrongly think that if salvation depends upon God's sovereignty only, then we don't have anything to do with it. And that's simply unbiblical. God sovereignly takes the initiative, but he does it through his people who obediently share and declare the gospel of Jesus. If we're not for the gospel in all nations, then we're not involved in God's purpose. If this church family is not involved 
for the gospel in all nations, then we're completely missing out on the purposes of God. We're uninvolved in God's purpose. The gospel for all nations isn't some optional aim for the church. I mean, missions is what God is doing. If global missions is the heart of God's purpose, then apathy toward missions, our apathy towards, towards missions would be completely inexcusable biblically. Now let me say to you, not all are called to go, but everyone in this house, we're called to pray, to give, to know, to educate, to be aware, to be interested. So this summer, we have something called Go Global on Wednesday nights. You, and you may not even realize this, you have sent out multiple missionaries from this church family. You financially support every single week that you give. We set aside a percentage of that to support missionaries around the world. So seven of those missionaries, seven of those mission agencies also will come back to Highland this summer from six different countries. And they're going to share what God is doing around the world. They're going to share, here's what God is doing in the nations. This is going to be on Wednesday nights. We're going to have a meal at 5.30. We're going to hear the report at 6 o'clock. Let me just go on record of saying that chapel should be packed on Wednesdays. Hearing what God is doing around the world. We can't just sit back and think that's someone else's thing or, or I'll just kind of write a check and just hope they do well with it. If we're not for the gospel in all the nations, then we're not involved in the purposes of God. This year, Highland, you'll be sending out teams to Uganda in a few weeks, sending out a team to Taiwan, uh, sending out a team to North Africa to share the gospel among Muslim people. By the way, if you're interested in that, that application is due at the end of June. Sending a team to the Netherlands. Our, our students are going to Florida to take the gospel to all People, here's the other little sub-point, if you will. The local church should be racially and culturally diverse. That, that's what we're seeing happening here in Acts chapter 11. God is beginning to break the wrong thinking of the Jews that, that salvation and, and the church and this brand new movement was just for them. The local church should be racially and culturally diverse. If God's purpose is to save people from every nation and every ethnicity and we're not fulfilling God's purpose in our church by, by not reaching out to others, then we have completely missed the heart of God by loving and ministering to people from every ethnicity and people from every nation. Look around the room. On the perimeter of this life center are 33 flags. Those 33 flags represent 33 different nationalities within this church family. Little old Waco, little old Highland. 33 nationalities represented in the covenant membership of this church. Let me say this. We've come a long way. We've got a long way to go. I have seen in the almost eight years I've been here, I've seen us grow more racially diverse. We have come a long way. Let me hear, hear, hear my heart again. I want you to hear my heart again. We have a long way to go. The local church should be racially and culturally diverse. Number two, it is easy to bring wrong thinking into the Christian life. In fact, it's natural. I mean, it's just kind of who we are to bring wrong thinking into even the Christian life. And so I want you to see three ways this morning that Peter's critics, they're in Jerusalem, how they were thinking wrongly. Here's the first thing. Here's the first wrong thinking, that human traditions are more important than biblical truths. Did you catch the story? A whole household of Gentiles got saved. But rather than rejoicing in this, the critics, they grumbled that Peter ate a meal with them. 
These Christian Jews were more focused on the kosher laws of the Old Testament than on the salvation of people. And before we roll our eyes at those Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem, we can do the exact same thing when we elevate certain traditions or ways of doing things above what God wants to do. If our cultural baggage or our church's cultural baggage is getting in the way of our commitment to reaching people from different backgrounds, we better drop the bags. If someone comes into our church who is not like you, and you don't go to them and make, even go out of your way to make your way to that person to make them feel welcomed and, and loved and, and heard and seen. Let me lovingly say as your shepherd, your heart is in the wrong place. Here's wrong thinking. The church should consist of people like me. Think like me, look like me, vote like me, my age group. We're all prone to think that the church should be made up of folks just like us and not for those who are different than us. But you know, God is most glorified when a local church is made up of people who would have never gotten together outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The church is God's adopted family made up of of children from every conceivable background to his glory. Here's wrong thinking. God has to do things my way. Those Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem, they probably would have said, yeah, Gentiles can become Christians, but first they need to become Jews. They need to act like us, dress like us, be in, in our culture, be in our rituals, be in our traditionals, our tradition. But for God to, to save them just as they are, that did not fit the Jewish way of thinking. The test of our wrong thinking is, is God's word. Because God's word will always confront us in our wrong thinking. And let me just say this lovingly as well. If your thoughts don't match God's thoughts, it's your thoughts that need to change. I got good news. This, this, there is a happy ending to the story. Those stubborn Jews that you kind of felt like rolling your eyes at a few moments ago, they changed. Look at this in verse, verse 18. Uh, chapter 11, verse 18. The very, very last, last verse of our narrative today. When they heard these things, they fell silent. Now, I don't know what they did in that silence. So let me step away from the pulpit and I'll say this. I think they were thinking. I think it was in that moment that the wrecking ball of the Holy Spirit came to them and shattered their old thinking. I don't know that. So that's just a guess. So I'll step back into Scripture now. When they heard these things, they fell silent. But here's what we do know they did. They glorified God. They worshiped God. They made much of God. That's what the word glory means. They made much of the weightiness of God. And they said, then it's true. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's good news for stubborn people. If there's some stubborn people here, this is good news. God can change your mind. If you don't know if you're stubborn or not, ask the person next to you that might be married to you, that might live with you. They'll be very honest if you're stubborn or not. Here's good news. God can change a stubborn heart and a stubborn mind. Here's point number three. God changes our wrong thinking so that we can join him in his work. That's what's going on. God was changing their wrong thinking, not just to shame them, but so that they could join him 
in the, in the work of God, the gospel work of God. Did you see Peter's first response? I, I love this. We kind of flew through it too quickly. I love Peter's first response. It's in verse 8 when God comes to him and says, I want you to stop having this wrong thinking. I want you to join me in my work. But verse 8, he says, by no means, Lord. <laughs> it's never wise to put the word no and Lord in the same sentence. It, it doesn't fit. It's like saying no to gravity or, or no to the sunrise. And if Peter had stayed with his protest, God would not have used him but somebody else to preach to Cornelius, to preach to this household. If we want God to use us in his great purposes, we're going to have to let him change our thinking. How does that happen? I'm going to land the plane on this. Six ways that happens. It could have been 12. So six ways that it happened. <laughs> Number one, God changes us as we walk with him. That's, if you're, if you're going to sleep for the next five, hear this one. God changes us as we walk with him. Do you see what's happening in verse four? It was while Peter was praying. It was while Peter was praying that the Lord gave him this life-changing vision. If Peter would have skipped the discipline, the spiritual discipline of praying... If Peter was way too busy that day to, to stop and to spend time with God, if Peter had skipped that discipline of prayer, he might have missed out on what God wanted to do through him. God will not change your thinking if you rarely spend time with him. You see, Peter was already walking with God. He was already spending time with God. He was praying when God came to him with this vision. Here's the second thing to know. God changes us by putting us in uncomfortable circumstances. God's agenda and God's idea sovereignly stepped right into the middle of Peter's prayer time. And God's agenda shocked Peter as seen by that startled, startled reply, by no means, Lord. That was the Lord's wrecking ball of Peter's old thinking. You see, if you're comfortable all the time spiritually, you'll never make a change. If life for you all the time is comfortable, you'll never make a change to your thinking. But when God takes us to an uncomfortable place, we realize that our old way of thinking won't work. This is why it's a good thing when God puts you into uncomfortable situations. We have to listen to the Lord and trust him to do something that we can't do in our own strength. That'd be my definition of a spiritually uncomfortable place. When God takes you someplace where you realize I can't do this in my own strength. If you're there right now, you can praise God. That he has taken you to an uncomfortable circumstance in life. Here's the third thing. God changes us by repeating his lessons. Did you catch this in the, in the reading of the narrative? The Lord had to repeat the vision three times to Peter. Maybe that was because three times he had denied Christ. The Lord had to repeat that vision three times for Peter. And then even the story itself is repeated twice in Scripture. I told you, chapter 10 is the exact same story. Chapter 11 is the retelling of the story in chapter 10. So every reader of Scripture, we're going to get the point of this story. So just, just stop for a second. Think back on the last two or three days, or maybe even two or three weeks. Is there a theme that God has been repeating to you over and over again? Is there a conversation you've had with godly people, spirit-filled people, and you realize, man, someone else just told me that. Someone else just said that same thing. Is there a sermon or a sermon series that you just heard over and over again? Or it might even be like Christian music. You're listening and you're hearing kind of the same theme over and over again. I, I would just submit to you that easily could be the Holy Spirit. 
repeating a lesson over and over, some scripture, some song, some book, that's the wrecking ball of God. And let me lovingly say, you better listen. As Reuben Ross says, our senior adult minister, God doesn't give tests that you pass or fail. He gives you tests that you either pass or repeat. Number four, God changes us through his word. Peter wins over these critics. In fact, he says it in a very orderly fashion. We see that in verse four. He kind of goes in order of everything that God did. Here's what God said. Here's how God worked. And you know, lasting change in our minds, it happens when we are making sure our mind is in line with the scripture. I mean, if Peter's experience right here in chapter 10 and chapter 11 would have contradicted scripture, it would not have been from God. But the Old Testament over and over again, you may know this, the Old Testament had already prophesied that the gospel, this Messiah would be for everybody. This this promised one coming out of the Jewish line would actually also be for the Gentiles. But Peter missed that. But verse 16, I think this is a huge turning point in the story. Verse 16, I love these, these, these few words. But Peter, he, verse 16, he remembered the word of the Lord. Change in thinking comes through God's word. Number five. God changes us by reminding us that he is sovereign and we are limited. I I could probably preach that message every single Sunday and we'd probably need to hear it just one more time. Oh, that's right. God knows all, I know little. God's scope is unlimited. God's scope is a sovereign scope. I have have such a limited view on life. That's That's a basic lesson we could just relearn all the time. Here's what we could relearn, that we are not the Lord of the universe nor the Lord of the church, but Jesus is. God is in charge and he can do as he pleases and he does not even need to consult with us. What? Who knew? If we're not careful, we can end up standing in the way of God. Peter learned the sovereignty of God, verse 17. I love this verse. It kind of gives me goosebumps every time. If then, Peter is telling the, the critics, if then God gave the same gift to them, the Gentiles, as he gave to us, Christian Jews, Pentecost, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He's sovereign. Friends, we are limited. Six, God changes us so he can use us in greater ways to fulfill his sovereign purpose. He changes so he can use us even in greater ways to fulfill his his sovereign purpose. Let me give you a little historical context here. Chapter 11 happens about seven years after the resurrection, about seven years after Pentecost. And for all seven of those years, the gospel was basically reserved for Jews. Now, Now, Philip stepped out and shared the gospel with some Samaritans. Philip stepped out and shared the gospel with the Ethiopian official. But but basically, the apostles just kind of stayed there in Jerusalem, and they just ministered the gospel over and over again to Jews and to Jews alone. So what did God have to do? This is in our story, but verse 19, God had to use persecution to get, get the gospel to the Gentiles. Sad story. The Jerusalem church never got it. They really never stepped out 
on, a, on the Gentile mission to take the gospel to all people, to all nations, to all tribes, to all tongues. And so they kind of began to decrease. And the mission of taking the gospel to all the world began to fall in other churches. In the church of Jerusalem, you kind of hear less and less about them in the book of Acts. The rest of Acts really is the Gentile mission outside of the Jerusalem church. I think the lesson for Highland is that if we do not respond to the opportunities God has given us, he will use another people. He'll use another church. He will set us aside and he will use others. God's purpose is to be glorified as his people reach out to to every group, to every ethnicity, to every nation with the good news of his saving grace. And if your thinking is not in line with God's purposes, I pray he uses this message today, his word today, his Holy Spirit today to send a wrecking ball to our old, traditional, humanistic, small, limited thinking. Oh God, would you change our minds? Would you stand with me please and let's pray together. God, if you're going to use a church, use a people, God, can we just pray, don't pass us by. Use us to accelerate the gospel in Waco and the world, this neighborhood and the nations. God, forgive us when we have thought so small of you and our calling. Forgive us when we've been so selfish with our salvation, so selfish with the gospel, thinking that the church was just for people like us. Father, send a wrecking ball to wrong thinking in this church, in our leadership, in our hearts, in our minds. We want to be used for greater purposes, to fulfill your sovereign purpose, which is the gospel for all the nations, for all people, for all colors, for all ethnicities, for all languages, for all tribes. Father, this is our heart before you. But before we do any of those things, you're going to need to change our minds. We want the world to know. In Christ we pray, in Christ we sing, amen.